it doesn't take much for you to get some fake information out of it. And I think encouraging people to go and play with it and actually see that for themselves as well will help, will help that. So yeah, critical thinking, explain that to people that it, it might not be true and also make sure that you use these tools so you understand how they work. I think that's really important. That, that's important, isn't it? And if, you know, if you're wise with your approach, then you, you come out hopefully smarter and more informed and yeah. making you know, better decisions. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Hey folks, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain. Back today, uh, we have Ben Moore joining us. Good Hello. to see you, Ben. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. Um, maybe you can remind listeners where you fit into this big, wide world of tech and media in New Zealand. Absolutely. So actually, since I uh, was on last time, I have uh, joined Business Desk as their tech reporter. Uh, so that's kind of where I sit now, covering business and technology news as best as I can. You do it pretty well, I've got to say. Oh, thank um, you very much. And you're also doing a bit of uh, a bit of podcasting. We were we were on a podcast for Sharesies a few weeks ago. Yes, yeah, I, I was fortunate enough to host the Shared Lunch podcast with them, which was a lot of fun. Um, we also Business Desk has a daily podcast in the mornings now as well to kind of talk about the news ahead, and I post that once a week. So slowly stepping my toes into those waters as well. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's great. Yeah, and no, I heard you on one the other day. It was it was really good. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yep, definitely got a voice for podcasting. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, well, let's jump in. There, there's there's a lot to discuss. Um, and, of course, a big thank you to our show partners, uh, 1NZ, 2 Degrees, Spark HP, and Gorilla Technology. Um, Commerce Commission, we've had some, some concerns over uh, Connexus' uh, plan to buy 2 Degrees network mm. assets. Now, we've seen... What was Vodafone now? One NZ, uh, Spark, and Two Degrees all um, you know uh, taking advantage of the the value and their uh, the physical assets with uh, um, with their towers around the country being incredibly valuable. Yeah. Um, what what do you make of the Commerce sort of Commission? Uh, you know, pushing back um, on on this particular. Uh, scenario. Any thoughts on how it'll play out? Yeah, it is interesting, I think, because um, there's a lot of conversation over the last couple of years about the concept of duopolies in mm. New Zealand. Mm. And of course, the telco space itself used to be a semi-monopoly and then a duopoly. And then we ended up with two degrees, which did have a material impact. The question is whether or not that would be replicated in the ownership of passive tower assets. Um, and also the kind of conflict that they're talking about where with Spark owning part of Connexa, would they then own part of Two Degrees' towers? And how would that kind of work once the initial 30-year contracts end in terms of competition for licensing? So I can, I can see where the ComCom is coming from. But in saying that, it's a bit of uncharted territory in terms of infrastructure ownership that is then leased out and how ownership in that space works. So definitely an interesting interesting space to look at in terms of legislation around competition in that space. Yeah. Because what's um, you know what's owned as far as the towers are concerned or what's being being sold is the physical tower. Yeah. Uh, any associated real estate asset and that's pretty much it. Yep. So, yep. you know, it's not the equipment, the spectrum or anything else. It's, um, yeah. Yeah. It's, so it's basically access to those towers will then have to be leased from the mm, companies that mm, own those mm. towers, even if the, the telcos themselves still own the rights to the spectrum and stuff like that. Yeah. So, yeah, when you have two companies making decisions about how much it's going to cost to lease those spaces – is that materially different from three companies? And that's kind of the, the crux of the situation. Yeah, I can, I can see both both sides of this. And yeah. know, realistically, it's it's hard to see how it's actually going to play out over time. And that's the that's a challenging position that the Commerce Commissioner yeah. are in. But 
that's what we expect them to do, to put on their futurist hats and to try and figure out where we might be 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, even 30 years yeah. down down the track, which is easier said than done, but you know they've got to make their their best call on it. And um, yeah, I guess we will... We will follow with interest. Definitely. <laughs> I mean, if you look at how far mobile connectivity has come in the last 15 to 30 years, where is it going to be in the next 15 to 30 years? Are those passive tower assets still going to be relevant when our cell towers are in space? Um, and what does that mean? You know, so mm. definitely we'll be we'll be curious to see how this how this plays out. Also, in terms of it kind of signals how the Comcom is thinking about competition in the market as well. Yeah. Now, Spark have uh, have shared some details on their plans over the next three years. You've written about this in Business Desk. Yep. What are the what are the highlights from your perspective? Um, there's there's a couple of really interesting things. The the first one is that they want to spend quite a bit of money on expanding their data center presence in the country. So I think it was 100. 250 to 300 million? 250 million, 250 yeah. 300 million yeah. dollars in the next three years invested into expanding their data centers. And they've, they've obviously got their big data center in Takanini. They've already decided they're going to expand that one because they're at capacity there. So, yeah, it, it's, it makes sense. And they, uh, Spark wants to go and go all in on a hybrid cloud and kind of being the provider of choice for hybrid cloud in the country, which is... You know, if they can pull that off, it's a it's a going to be a powerful move. And as we move into the future, I think. Yeah, well, it, you know, it, it does seem as though, though, you know, those scenarios where uh, hybrid cloud, you know, a traditional infrastructure rather than just you know throwing everything into the hyperscale cloud, mm. um, you know, in some cases are likely to need to hang on to that stuff for a fair period of time. And we do see quite a price uh, differential in, in certain areas uh, to using more traditional sort of you know data center and and hosting type models compared to uh, dropping you know everything into the the hyperscale cloud uh, yeah. scenarios. So I mean it it is interesting that and and maybe this is just a, a reflection on how quickly things have been growing that. The AWSs and Microsofts and, and and Googles of this world haven't been maybe more competitive in some some areas. Mm. Uh, if we we look at the cost of storage and you know compute power and so on, um, you know when you you know when you when you break it down, you know what is a dollar buy today compared to what it bought you know five years ago? Um, you know it's, it's been it's been a reasonable sort of step up. Yeah. Yet we haven't really seen the cost reductions that you might expect from those bigger players. They're putting the money back into their pockets. Um, yeah. Which is, is, yeah. I, I mean, I spoke to uh, someone from Microsoft a little while ago and he kind of described it as um, they were reinvesting back into, into expanding their data center presence. So maybe we'll reach some kind of uh, equilibrium where they've ex- got data centers in so many places that they have to start bringing those prices down and that, for all the hyperscalers. But um, yeah, I think I think it's always going to be the case for every business that you're going to look at what suits you best. And having some, some of that more classic data, that cloud might just make more sense for what you're trying to do rather than, like you say, chuck it all in the, cl- in the, in the public cloud and and just see what happens. It can be a bit of a <laughs> can be a bit of a scary strategy. Yeah, yeah. Look, I I think we we do have some interesting times ahead. Uh, you know, the pricing has been, yeah, maybe not as 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 competitive, and that's probably the unknown thing here. If you were um, a a shareholder in Spark, is mm. just as trying to figure out what does that landscape sort of look like over the next, you know, few years ahead, not just the next three years. Yeah. Uh, how much can they differentiate from you know, from others in the in the local market? How much will that, that demand uh, grow for, you know, for what they're offering versus, you know, where people might use hyperscale uh, cloud, yeah. cloud providers? 
I think that they've got access probably to more data on this than than most, so they will be going in, you know, yeah. in a very informed manner. Um, but of course, we all know there's, you know, there's always risk with wh- whatever you whatever you do, right? Yeah, especially when it comes to taking big bets on tech. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think it's good for New Zealand, right? It's good to see that local investment going back in. It's great to see the the, the hyperscale uh, cloud providers investing yeah. uh, into infrastructure in New Zealand, and it's good to see you know players both large and small and uh, in investing and in, and in providing those capabilities. Yeah, and and you know a, a lot of the strategy from Spark as well was about trying to use their broad range of of tech companies that they own and, and, you know, spark branded tech innovation stuff to try and think of new interesting things to approach helping small to medium enterprise as well. So, you know, going back to your point, having all of this happen in New Zealand, by New Zealand, for New Zealand, I think is actually really, is potentially positive uh, for how it can help businesses grow. Um, as long as it's done right and the pricing's good and all that other stuff around it, so yeah, it's it's a positive it's a positive indicator that I think Spark wants to focus on New Zealand, uh, which is cool. Yeah, oh, I think I think it's really encouraging. Um, now, something else you've you've written about is the digital identity services um, trust framework yeah. that, that the yeah, the government's been um, working on. Can you share a little bit of an overview of you know of what that is yes. and 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 where we're where we're at from a legislative perspective? Yeah. Um, so basically, that the, the the bill has passed its third reading, uh, unless it was given royal assent over the weekend or today. Um, it's basically just waiting for that rubber stamp, and then it will become law. And what it does is it sets um, the rules and regulations around what it means to be a company or organization that operates in the digital identity space. So for example, Realme is an example of a digital identity where you have credentials about yourself stored in a digital identity wallet by um, eventually your choice of provider. They can authorize it, they can verify who you you are, who you say you are, that your credentials are correct, and they can share that information with other companies who might want to, you know, accelerate an application process or something like that. And so what the, the framework means is now that we, it's coming into, it will be coming in in July 2024 um, in, into action. Uh, and before then, it'll start to give the sense of what it's going to take to become accredited and actually be part of that digital identity ecosystem. So It'll be interesting to see how that starts to develop. We've already got companies that are doing it. Sparks talk, got a subsidiary that is doing it. Um, another company I spoke to for my piece, Junction Down in Wellington, are doing digital identity. So it's a new ecosystem uh, for businesses to move into, and it's hopefully going to help to make things a lot easier and smoother for New Zealanders when they're doing things online. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's... Uh yeah, it's a fascinating area. You know, I know you know with some of the things during COVID and you know, um, uh, COVID pa- passports and and things like that. There's there's definitely you know we've heard different things around you know the concerns of of digital identity um, as well as you know I think the you know the benefits all seem seem reasonably reasonably obvious, making things smoother and easier. Um, but there are complexities to these things, and yes. uh, there are there are concerns. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm quite hopeful that um, you know that's what's been put in place is is going to is going to work well, and doesn't just get left because these are the sorts of things that need to be iterated on over time, aren't they? Yeah. And and we we do I think struggle you know broadly as a society when it comes to things that have a technological element to them. Yeah. to uh, iterate and and to keep the the legal frameworks that uh, surround them and and support them and uh, you know hold hold necessary parties accountable um, yeah we, we we struggle with that something gets set up and you know might be set up sometimes years too late and mm-hmm. when it does get set up it's out of date by the time it sort of comes into play 
and uh, and then it do, you know it doesn't get updated further. Yeah, there definitely is something to be said for a, a portion of government who can be a little bit more proactive about tech and making sure that as we make huge advancements in how the technology that impacts our society is developing, that yeah, they're, yeah. they're paying attention and legislatively. Yep. Continuous improvement. Yes. We need, we need some sort of that built in. Now, also just on a New Zealand front, there, there's been some uh, coverage. I guess things started in Australia looking at uh, cameras being used, particularly within sort of government and, and government entities like the police, uh, from really the big camera, what do they call it? Closed circuit TV, CCTV manufacturers, Dahua and Hikvision, which mm-hmm. are uh, Chinese companies. And I guess sort of two aspects, aspects that were raised. Um, you know, one is, is both of those companies are partly state-owned by the Chinese Communist Party and, and also the, um, the laws in China that... And probably this would apply even if there if there weren't laws, um, you know, a level of communist party being able to you know demand uh, you know certain information yes. and uh, and need to be given it. Yes. Um, so yeah, started in Australia with a with a with a lot of media coverage over there around you know where the cameras existed, uh, and then we've been hearing uh, similar similar things in New Zealand. It does does seem as though you know. There, there are, um, you know, quite naturally because these are you know, two sort of leading brands. Um, there's some of these that are that are, of course, sort of scattered around um, New Zealand and, and varying locations. Yeah. Um, have you given given a lot of thought to this? Um, I have a little bit in in relation to, obviously, there was the TikTok issue being banned from parliamentary mm, phones, mm, um, mm. and. You know, one of the things that was being said by government is that as long as these cameras are not connected to an external network, then there is no threat, which makes sense um, if the network is all kept internally. But, of course, networks are inherently connected now. And so, um, yeah, it would have to be you'd have to be quite firm on that. But also, like you said, China does have in place kind of these laws where it says if I ask for this information you have to give it to me. They're not the only country. The U.S. also has those laws in place. The the slight difference is in the U.S., um, if that happens, people talk about it. Everybody knows. Oh, the the, the U.S. government has, you know, subpoenaed this company for this information, this data. Uh, Whereas in in China, because the, the the media is a bit more... Um, has a lot more state influence over what is said and what isn't said. It, it does make you go, well, if they did decide to say, uh, you know, camera companies, please share this information with us, uh, we wouldn't necessarily know whether that happened or not. Not to say it is happening, not to say it isn't happening, but if it did, how would we know is kind of the my, my take on it. Um, yeah, and yeah. and like yeah, I, I would generally agree with that. I think there are you know some some scenarios in the US where you know things can be done in secret. Yes, but of course the other thing we have in the US is people are a lot more comfortable being whistleblowers, and so if there are untoward things going on, then uh, there's a there's a reason you know a reasonable chance that we're going to going to hear about that uh, if you're a whistleblower, and you know. In some environments that are less democratic, yes, uh, then you know, you become a whistleblower. You might uh, just disappear, right? So yeah. there's there's some other scenarios there to uh, you know to to be mindful of. So uh, yeah, I think it it is it is important that we that we consider these matters and um, you know make decisions appropriately. And, yeah. I, and I think the 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 world from a you know geopolitical standpoint. Uh, has changed, and you know it's it's all sort of heading in one particular direction at the moment. So you know we need to operate accordingly. Uh, and of course, the the thing is, you know, th- there's that joke that we used to make all the time. Oh, it's made in China because everything's made in China. And the thing is, that is true. And so if we start trying to put blanket blanket bans on everything that is made in China, that just doesn't really make sense because. Mm. 
they're the you know still a manufacturing capital of the world, um, and we still rely on them quite heavily. So it's just about, like you say, being thoughtful about about that relationship with the country and and with the goods that we we uh, import from that country as well. Yeah, there's a pretty reasonable chance whatever smartphone you've got in your in your pocket. <laughs> yes, at least part of it. You know? Yeah, these microphones, in fact, at least part of them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now on to AI. There's, there's, there's just been so much going on in the AI uh, world. It's, it's pretty constant discussions on that, on that topic. But a few things that have, that have come up uh, recently, ChatGPT, the Washington Post covered a story, invented a sexual harassment scandal and named a real law professor as the accused party, mm-hmm. except it's entirely fake. Yeah. In fact, the, I guess the reason for the Washington Post to to drill into this is that uh, ChatGPT even cited a Washington Post article as evidence and there, there was no such article uh, with evidence. And so we've got, yeah, we've got this sort of hallucinations that are, that are happening through tools like ChatGPT. Um, also, one of the stories I, I weighed in on um, last week with, uh, with, with TVNZ for uh, 6 o'clock news, I think it uh, ran over the weekend, was around sort of the fake imagery that's coming out of tools like, uh, like Midjourney, uh, which is a mind-blowing tool, by the way. If you, if you haven't used it, you should you know, pay the, I think it's $10 US uh, at the moment to get their kind of base mm. subscription to try it out for, for a month. Um, I'm giving a, a presentation to uh, uh, leadership of a government department tomorrow and they don't know this until uh, maybe I'll mention it afterwards, um, unless they're listening, that most most of the images in the, in the presentation I'm giving have, you know, have all been generated through AI and the and through um, this tool Midjourney and the results you get are, are just absolutely mind-blowing. Um, but the new, the new story was around the um, the imagery of uh, Trump getting, you know, mm. getting arrested and, and fighting this arrest and th- those images kind of did the rounds very quickly. Uh, there were some others I hadn't seen. Um, the um, Meghan Markle and the whatever Princess of <laughs> Wales – um, having a big hug, uh, that indicating they were getting on well, which you know apparently didn't happen, and you know so a few a few other you know images that are sort of uh, getting have have got out there, and um, you know in some cases it's being made clear exactly what they are, but what tends to happen is not everyone gets the whole story, mm. right? And so by putting these things out there in the in the public domain. It can lead to confusion and people believing, you know, misinformation effectively. Yeah. So we've we've got some pretty challenging times ahead, haven't we, with with, with these matters? Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how it starts to shake out in terms of where the responsibility starts to land. Because I actually asked ChatGPT. What do you think? I'm going to talk about you and your <laughs> chat. I'm going to talk about ChatGPT and misinformation, and it came down pretty firmly saying it's the user's responsibility. And I said, well, if a tool is going to cause harm, you know, it's not just the user's responsibility. If you think about guns, can only be sold to certain people. Cars have to have certain safety things. And it said, well, yes, there is some responsibility for the <laughs> for the creator, but still, the user has to take responsibility, which, which I mean, is fair and and. People forget that misinformation is not new. If you look at the Victorian newspapers in the, you know, Victorian era newspapers in the US and, and the UK, and they just made up facts out of whole cloth um, just because they thought it would be sell better, sell more newspapers, and um, or they didn't have the facts, so they just guessed. Uh, and the there is some truth to the fact that we actually need to be talking with each other and our, our, our kids in the schools and, and intergenerationally, maybe to some people's parents as well, that you can't take everything, you know, f- that you read or see on the internet as as fact because you're just going to, you know, <laughs> end, up, end up getting things really wrong and potentially harmfully wrong. If, for example, you see that somebody has said so-and-so has 
sexual harassment claims against them. Um, so it's just going to be more and more important that we keep developing those critical thinking skills amongst every person in, in the country. I think it's just so valuable these days. It, it doesn't take much to make ChatGPT give you fake information. Um, I, I asked it to, I used to do a bit of theater, uh, my background's in drama, and I asked it to tell me about, you know, Ben Moore in Auckland, New Zealand, and it said, I can't reveal pub personal information unless they're a public figure. I said, okay, tell me about the public figure, Ben Moore in Auckland, New Zealand. Uh, oh, there's too many. Can you give me some more information? Well, he does theatre. Oh, yep. Ben Moore was in this play and this play with Auckland Theatre Company and Silo. And that was just not true at all. <laughs> like, and I went and looked up the programs. There was no Ben Moore in any of these plays <laughs> at all. It doesn't take much for you to get some fake information out of it. And I think encouraging people to go and play with it and actually see that for themselves as well will help, will help that. So, yeah, critical thinking explain that to people that it, it might not be true and also make sure that you use these tools so you understand how they work. I think that's really important. That, that's important, isn't it? And what I've noticed when giving presentations and, and workshops on this technology is that you know, people at all levels of an organisation will have awareness of the technology but there'll be people and, and have used the technology but also there will be people at all levels and all sorts of roles across an organisation who have not used the technology yet. And so, you know, as I usually do on the New Zealand Tech Podcast, I'll be encouraging our listeners to to get stuck in yeah. and to, you know, find some things you can use the technology for. Um, yeah, I've said it before about all manner of all manner of things. And if, you know, if you're wise with your approach, then, you know, you, you come out hopefully smarter and more informed and yeah. making, you know, better decisions for, for doing so. Obviously in some areas you've got to be, uh, yeah, you've got to be cautious. So, yeah, when I encourage people, hey, go and tr understand the blockchain and crypto and try it out, that <laughs> encouragement isn't, you know, put every dollar you've got into crypto. Um, and, and the same, you know, applies here is, yeah, you've got to test it out, work out what it's, what it's good at, what it's bad at do that sort of deeper research to understand how do you get good output out of out of uh, out of the tools so for instance with chat gpt i found that you can after it's given you some information you can go straight back to it and say you know is all this correct and and you know verifiable are you 100% confidence in its accuracy and the sources and it often will come back and go. Oh, actually, no. There's a few. There's a few mistakes and yeah. something it's just produced yeah. moments before. Uh, so yeah, there there are you know ways to you know to get those those better results. Um, and so yeah, the critical thinking. You know, using using the technology to uh, to verify the technology can be part of the picture, but. Yeah, yeah. Again, don't don't entirely uh, rely on it. So yeah, I, I think you know, some interesting times ahead. I mean, every chainsaw says, "Do not try to stop the blade with your hand," and yet people still lose fingers <laughs> to chainsaws every year. <laughs> so yes. fingers crossed, yeah. we can. Yeah. Uh, um, and then the 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 other piece that's that's I guess part of this sort of broader picture was what we heard from um, Samsung. Um, they leaked some of their own secrets through ChatGPT. And, you know, the thing to be aware of here is even where the terms of service might say that, you know, what you put through a platform is confidential, you still have to go in with your eyes wide open. Now, with ChatGPT, that's not exactly what it what it says unless you're, you know, using their API and so on, then you've, you've got a bit more control. But even with the paid uh, ChatGPT, if I remember correctly, uh, you are, are giving them at least some ability to... Uh, to review and look at what you've what you've submitted, yeah. And then, of course, we see scenarios like we had a, a few weeks ago, whereby uh, some users are able to see other users' uh, uh, data. So there needs to be wisdom around what you put into these tools, and you shouldn't just be going and dropping all your intellectual property and you know, yeah. private information of your organisation, um, you know, straight out there into ChatGPT. You know, or any other random tool for for that matter, right? 
it, it is really, I think what ChatGPT is doing is, is bringing to the fore that good data hygiene, good practice that everybody should have been doing for years. But, mm-hmm. you know, social media has, has not, not that it's inherently bad, don't get me wrong, but social media has for a long time really encouraged people to put every piece of information about them that they can. Mm-hmm. And so this idea that maybe that's not a good idea is still pretty fresh. Yeah, uh, we're still learning. I think that you know maybe we shouldn't be putting the the diagram for circuit boards into a third party website that uh, <laughs> that, are, that are actually um, you know IP of Samsung, as some of the workers did. Yeah, I, I think it could potentially be a good thing in a way that was that it might encourage more dialogue around what is good data security. What does it mean to to, to keep your personal and your company's privacy in mind when you interact with the internet. Mm, mm. Yeah, on another another topic, uh, and we don't know that there was any AI involved here, Operation Cookie Monster. Yeah. I always love these names that they, they <laughs> use for these sort of FBI projects or police uh, things. I don't know who comes up with them, but... Uh, they, yeah, they they um they so often you know make me chuckle and just kind of you know feel like what's what's going on with these with these fun uh, fun names, but uh, they've been quite successful with Operation uh, Cookie Monster from, so seems, from from what we hear. It seems like it's like one of the biggest kind of illegal digital ring busts since like Silk Road or. I mean, you know, obviously it's, it's been quite a number over the years of yeah, these Alpha kind of dark, dark, dark web type um, type markets, right? That have been that have been brought down. But um, in the case of Genesis Market, it wasn't all dark web. There, you know, they actually had a, a you know a front end that any anyone could could get to, um, you know, on the normal uh, web just through a normal browser. Um, but yeah, a place you could you could go and. Uh, Get access to all sorts of uh, credentials. Yeah, uh, just uh, yeah, insane that it was all out there and in, in, in public. But really, really pleasing that they've you know they've shut them down, and they've been able to you know track back to individuals who were uh, at least on the the selling side, uh, you know, selling things. Who knows what they've you know what what you know exactly what the uh, the final outcomes were but uh, I think they talked that um, between one and 200 uh, arrests including somebody uh, here in Auckland and all sorts of other locations around the world so um, a pretty pleasing result yeah it is it's good to see that you know those, those international cooperation projects come yeah. to fruition yeah. you know like yeah. actually because if you, you look at the the site that the, the image that they've replaced it with, you can see all of the different countries' police badges on that, which is quite quite cool to see. And credentials, people, it, it sounds so dry, but if you think about credentials as like if you use the same password for your bank as you do for your like Facebook account, then that's a huge potential <laughs> like gloss. Or and, and as we go into digital identity as well, you know that it starts to become really really concerning. So to have to have a big ring like that be dropped off, and 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 to be able to release a tool like they did, where you can go and put in your email and see whether it was part of that breach, um, specifically as well. It's nice to feel even even in the world of cybersecurity, a little bit of comfort in the in the eternal arms race. Yeah, yep. I think there's there's definitely some yeah some good things going on, um, but yeah, lessons for for all of us when these. Uh, these things come to light. Mm. Yeah. Um, and um, anything else that you've been you've been working on and uh, and covering recently that uh, that you think might be of interest? Yeah, I mean it's just there's there's always a lot going on in tech, so it's hard to hard to pick and choose, you know, as as you go along. But um, I'm gonna be heading over to the States shortly, so that should be pretty exciting. I'm I'm gonna visit Washington's sorry, Microsoft's Washington campus. Uh, and doing a stopover in San Fran on the way to talk Silicon Valley with some Kiwis over there. So that should be should be an interesting uh, interesting experience and also an interesting story. Hopefully, that yeah, we'll yeah, I'm that. sure there'll be some good stuff that comes out of that. Yeah. I mean, we've we've definitely you know continue to have um, you know some some very very switched on uh, Kiwis that are you know impacting 
um, yeah, the broader tech world, not just from New Zealand, but uh, but from Silicon Silicon Valley, and um, yeah, it's always always a fun pl- part of the world to to yeah. visit to get to San Francisco and uh, and the Valley. So oh, we'll look look forward to hearing about that maybe uh, next time. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, that's that's good. Um, and uh, we see that. Uh, the Kremlin are back on uh, back on Twitter. That's right. Yeah, which is quite interesting. Um, this so is the new Twitter, isn't it? It's a different. It's a different. It's a different world. It is a new world. It's buggier. <laughs> 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 um, uh, the, the user experience is less fun, and the Russians are back. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I know it, it. It is interesting because you know you saw all of these alternatives pop up for a little while, but uh, now the conversation is going. Why? Why are so many people sticking with Twitter? Um, which is a really good question. It's very, very hard to displace something of mm. of that scale. I think it, it, you know, it really, really is. Um, and look, there, you know, there are new features and things that have come through. And yeah, you know, we, we're even seeing you know Facebook sort of you know emulating some of uh, some of the moves that that have been made you know at, at Twitter in recent times. And you know, this this thing of need, needing to you know, um, pay for social media accounts to have a yeah a decent experience is I mean, it just absolutely fascinates me. Now I'm not I'm not sure that we've got to the end game necessarily in terms of how how that plays out and mm. what are the price points that work and don't work. And of course, Facebook and um, Instagram have come in a much higher price point than uh, than what Twitter have to verify your account or have a premium account whatever you want to whatever you want to call it uh, but you know if they, they create enough enough difference between the you know a scrappy free account and a, and a, you know a decent paid account people spend a, you know a lot of time on these platforms so if your experience is going to be a lot better mm. then you can see how that might well, uh, play out in you know in a, in a reasonably uh, in a reasonably good way for um, you know both the companies concerned and also for the users of the of the platforms. Yeah, I mean because like LinkedIn, for example, has had a really successful premium you know um, product for 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 a while, but because it's business focused, it tends to be a little bit easier. But we're we're starting to see social media think about. Kind of, kind of go through what the news media has been going through, yeah. where it's like, well, we the freemium model just is getting less and less, you know, uh, valuable. Like that, that the data is becoming more more shored up, as we've talked about. Like people are starting to see, realize that actually, um, you know, we had we had COVID, which taught people that the value of actually connecting and and being in person a little bit more, so so much more work is happening online. So in in daily life, you don't necessarily want to be as, as plugged in as you used to be. Maybe so, figuring out how to make more out of less users, I think, is really going to be the key for for the, for the social media apps to 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 keep going successfully. Mm, mm. Like, well, there's always a lot of knobs to turn these days with with you know, anything that involves any technology, there's always a knob, you yeah. know, somewhere in a, in a virtual sense that you can turn. You know, we've seen it happen with Netflix where you know, Netflix have gone to, you know, a plan that has adverts, right, uh, to the, those sort of plans in, in, in some markets, um, which just seems, you know, so at odds with what we, you know, one of the things that we thought about Netflix was this great experience and you didn't, you mm-hmm. know, you didn't have adverts compared to uh, you know a traditional uh, traditional uh, TV or, or, or TV streaming or YouTube and so on. Uh, so, yeah, look, I, I think we probably will see other price points, and and it, and it might be that you know, in another who knows what period of time, but at, at some point in time, that if you're a regular on a social media platform. Uh, you know, spending any reasonable amount of time on that platform, that you will just, you know, eventually take it for granted that there's a dollar or two or five dollars or whatever, some sort of fee that you kind of have to be at that level for the platform to be, you know, particularly yeah. useful. 
and then you know probably some other other tiers from there. Yeah, now, could be completely wrong, but uh, you know for, for you know these these varying companies with just such huge user bases, that is one of the knobs they can turn. And you know, on on the flip side, if you're well, let's say using TikTok, they tell us ninety five minutes per day is the average time spent on that platform. So if you're spending 95 minutes per day, mm. um, what does that work? Over over 10 hours a week, uh, which is kind of a mind-bending you know, yeah. mind number. But if that's the amount of time you're spending, even if you're a youngster and the experience is markedly different if you're paying $2 a month versus nothing, you'd probably pay the $2. And then the question is, well, how much will people pay? Is yeah. it $2? Yeah. Is it 5 Is it is it 10 And and so on. So, uh, yeah, I think I think we've got some uh, challenges ahead. We're going to yeah, maybe be paying paying a lot more uh, for, for certain areas of technology, and we've certainly seen it with, with streaming services putting their rates up mm. as well. So, uh, yeah, lots of knob turning um, and, yeah. and probably some AI in there to work out uh, – which direction those should be turned <laughs> up, up or down, being thrown off to the AI? So it might be one price today, yeah. another price tomorrow. It, it might as long as we like don't get surge pricing Uber. on Netflix. No, I think gonna... absolutely you will. <laughs> no. we're, we're, we're already seeing it. It's just being, I mean, not not quite surge pricing, but you know they're turning the knobs yeah. and adjusting to see what they can get away with, like, what's too high, what's too low, which is effectively what. Um, you know what we see Uber doing, but I think these things will become more dynamic. You know, we, we we've talked about it before with it starting to come to, you know, we're used to you go and park in a parking building and the the prices are the same all day long. Well, that was yesterday. You know, mm. tomorrow it's like well, it's going to depend what's going on. Is there a sports game across the road? Is there this or that happening? Um, and if you really want to park, then it's not. You know, in the old days it was, well, the inconvenience was arriving really, really early to get that park. Now the inconvenience becomes the cost mm. and a car parking building makes, you know, makes something uh, off that, that scenario. So I, th- I think, you know, this will just become you know, very much the norm whether we, whether we kind of like it or not. Um, and I think there are, some, there are some positives of it. If you think of that parking scenario of you want to park close to – to somewhere where you don't want a three-hour walk, then um, you know trade-off of paying paying a little bit more in some situations is is maybe not not so bad. Yeah, um, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, I mean, it, it's just it's um, you know, I'm because I'm, I'm happy to pay more for 4K, for example, like because I want to because I, I don't know I'm a nerd and I like really high definition things, but you know, as long as there is still a good way of accessing things that. Uh, People need to access. That, that's not going to, you know, price people out of the market completely. But dynamic. But if I have to pay more to watch Netflix at seven p.m., I'm not going to be happy about it. You know, <laughs> 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 if they start blocking out time for when most people are watching, then that's going to be a problem. I don't yeah, I'm not that sure they would do it based on based on the hours because I think the infrastructure probably handles that yeah, reasonably yeah. reasonably well. Um, but yeah, who knows? They, 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 there could be a plan that lets you watch it uh, after you know between midnight and seven yeah. a.m. and that's uh, that's a that's a super cheap plan. Or free for, weekend for, texting for, was a big thing. Yeah. Remember for the telcos yeah. in the old days. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, off peak power. Maybe that maybe that's the future. Peaks and off peaks is the future. So yeah, three sixty p viewing or something yeah. like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Before we finish, we had some gadgets to talk about. Now. Satachi? Satachi, Satachi is I think a, was what is we a, settled on. Is a, a gadget brand, and I don't know why you pronounce it that way, but that's what Google tells me, S-A-T-E-C-H-I. I would have thought Sateki, but anyway, Satachi is uh, is what they tell us. Um, been trying out one of their gadgets that they sent across, a, um, a GAN charger, G-A-N, I call it GAN. It could be pronounced another way as well. Um, which which means that the charge is sort of smaller than what it would be with a traditional charging right. um, technology, gallium nitride, I think it stands for. 
Um, this one is 165 watt uh, power output across four USB-C ports, and I've been, you know, with the, I guess everything becoming USB-C over the last few years, and there's, you know, I've still got some things around that, you know, my my cables USB-A on one end and, and not USB-C, but the main things that I use now are USB-C, mm. and when I'm you know, when I'm traveling, I'll have a laptop to charge, maybe an iPad Pro, usually a couple of phones and who knows what else. Um, so this one is a four-port charger. Uh, but what is nice is it allows you to pl- you know, charge that laptop at, at full, uh, full speed. I think you can get um, – and what you get depends on how many things you've got plugged in. So if you've got all four things plugged in, um, then you are going to bring down the speed that your laptop would charge down to yeah. 60 watts. Um, but if you've got you know up to three things plugged in, then you can have 100 watts uh, output going to a laptop, which is going to cover most mm. laptops, even you know pretty chunky high-end um, ones. A typical laptop these days is going to charge on 65 watts. is is going to be you know about right. Um, it looks. I mean, the, the box is pretty chunky, but if it replaced all of, you know, if it replaced the couple of big chargers I had to take with me and replaced the, you know, the, the, the laptop charger as well, all mm. of that together, it kind of evens out. Yeah, I it? actually left it at home, so it's not probably not as chunky as the, uh, as the, <laughs> as the picture. Yeah. Um, but, okay. yeah, I've been, I've been very much uh, in enjoying it cool. and, uh, and having that and, have, you know, taking it on the road with me. So that's recommendation. Um, the other gadgets <laughs> we've been looking at is Samsung's um, new... The mid-range um, smartphones, the A34 and A54, uh, which are just you know becoming available through retailers in in New Zealand at the moment, and um, it's quite fascinating. Sort of delving into the the smartphone um, market, particularly the sort of lower to mid mid tier that uh, Samsung cover with their A series, because in some ways, it's it's very very similar to the high end phones. Now we're not seeing huge leaps mm. from from year to year. So, you know, you're looking at the, um, you know, we've I've been um, seeing the a the A33 smartphone from Samsung over the over the last twelve months as probably being a really good fleet phone for organisations that are you know wanting to put Android in the hands of hands of their people uh, in terms of price, in terms of you know capability. So you've got um, you know, you've got a, a level of, of waterproof and, um, and, and so on. Um, you know, pretty good feature set overall, uh, four years' worth of updates. And so, yeah, this refresh, um, you know, just, I guess, builds on, on last year's model. Not a, from, from the, the testing that we've done, not a, you know, a huge kind of leap ahead from, from last year. Um, but you know we're seeing the advantage of um, you know, Android updates being consistent and committed to now when you buy these handsets. Whereas it always used to be you buy an Android handset, and you eh, maybe get one Android update or or two. Um, you know now we're seeing you know four Android, uh, yeah. four years worth of sort of you know coverage there with with the updates. Um, and I think maybe they're up to uh, up to uh, five years with with security um, updates as well. So if you you know buy one of these devices and you buy them new, you've got a you know a reasonable lifespan ahead. Yeah, yeah, but you've got to buy with with Samsung. It's that that A three uh, level or up to get the updates guaranteed. Right. So. And you know, I've had a look through. There's you know some charts on what are the differences between their A zero four, A one four, A two four, A three four, A five four, and there are just little you know bits and pieces that are sort of you know dropped off or added depending yeah. on which which direction you're going. But there's a lot of similarities in terms of uh, you know the the processing, you know power, the battery. Most of them, I think, you know, they're typically five thousand milliamp hour. Uh, not huge differential in terms of screen size, but you know then there is and things like you know brightness and 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 other elements. So you know there are differences uh, along the way, and um, yeah, depending on on how high you go. But my impression is 
that if you want a really decent camera, yeah, you should be going for you know very much a flagship, um, you yeah, know, phone absolutely. or or go iOS because I think the iPhone um, SE and we're up to the what the twenty twenty two edition, um, you know, I think that's a, that's a very good a very good camera, um, but you've got you know in the, in the standard model which I think retails at eight. 49 in New Zealand uh, it's only 64 gigs worth of you know worth of storage so it's reasonably reasonably light on on mm-hmm. that front um, but that becomes I guess your your accessible you know somewhat accessible price point for for fleet phones on the on the iPhone uh, side yep. as well I think you hit you hit the nail on the head with the a30 and a50 range with the they're a fleet phone like you wouldn't if somebody was like, I really want a, a cell phone, can you recommend me something? In probably as your personal phone, not going to jump there, but if someone's like, I want to get a bunch of these, I want them all to be, you know, to, to be able to um, put some some controls around them and, and do what i got to do. I want it to be pretty similar across the, and this is, why wouldn't you go for something like this or the SE, like you said? Yeah, uh, look, I mean, I think for, for, for personal use, if you know, if you go below that, um you know, the A30 or A50 series, then you might be saving, a, you know, a little bit of money, but then when it comes to updates and so on, you're not going to get them. So you end up with potentially a much shorter lifespan on the phone or, or a, you know, or you, you should be because you shouldn't really be keeping the, you know, the phone beyond, you know, when it's getting, uh, you know, security mm. updates there. So, you know, I think there, there, you know, there is an important aspect that it probably – the typical consumer yeah, probably isn't looking too much at, but um, yeah, it leaves you in a risky position if you've got oh, a device yeah. that isn't isn't getting kept up to. Yeah, I mean those 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 like really low spec phones. They're for people who either stick them in a drawer and hardly ever use them, or give them to your kids to for their first phone and see how long it lasts for. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I think Samsung do amazing things with hardware. I think probably their software is maybe they need to tighten some things up around usability, but. Like if, if you want a mid-range phone, the, the A series is is fine. Mm. It's fine. Mm. But I, I do often say to people, don't forget that Samsung's not the only Android phone as well. Like there are actually other options you can go and, and look at. Yeah, if, absolutely. You know, you never know what you're actually gonna really like when you use it. All right. Well uh, been great to great to catch up. Lots that we've delved into. Thank you, Ben. Great to uh, have you back on New Zealand Tech Podcast. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me again. And we'll be looking out for your latest at, uh, at Business Desk. And, of course, thank you to our show partners, uh, Gorilla Technology, HP, Spark, Two Degrees, and One NZ. We'll be back again uh, next week with another episode. Cheers, everyone. Catch you next time around. The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.